Hey Authority Hackers, welcome to this week's show. So I actually forgot, but this week is actually the fifth anniversary of Authority Hacker Pro, our advanced community and training. And I was actually reminded by Dan, one of our OG members who posted on the group. And it's kind of cool to see the people that joined five years ago still being in the community, still being active and growing their business and, you know, enjoying H Pro basically. And it's kind of a coincidence because we just reopened Authority Hacker Pro for new members this week. It wasn't planned, but I guess it happened. You can check all the information on authorityhacker.com slash pro. And in this week's episode to celebrate both the relaunch of Authority Hacker Pro and the five year anniversary, we decided to do something pretty cool. We took some of the tactics that we teach inside Authority Hacker Pro and we found some sites that could use these tactics to do better and might regret not having and might regret not having implemented them. And basically we're showing you how simple changes, sometimes things that don't take very long, can really push your sites much further. And since based on the previous episodes, you guys really enjoyed the kind of like field examples and finding sites on the internet that, you know, we can use as examples for the tactics we talk about, we're kind of doubling down on that. And you will see that in this episode and in future episodes. So I'm really excited for this episode, but I'm going to stop teasing you. Let's get started. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. So we actually just opened Atari Hacker Pro for a very limited time. It's just going to be open this week. We're going to be closing it early next week. So if you want more information, just go on atarihacker.com slash pro and you will find pretty much everything you need there. And to celebrate the relaunch of Atari Hacker Pro, we only do it maybe like twice a year. We are going to be making a special podcast that focuses on a lot of the content that we talk about in Notary Hacker Pro, so we're going to give you some tidbits, but to make it interesting, we're actually taking case study sites for every single tactic that we're going to be talking about and how they can implement these tactics and actually just make more money or do better in search or something like this for each tactic. So uh, I'm not going to do that alone. I'm going to be doing that with Mark because I built Notary Hacker Pro with Mark. So Mark, how's it going this week? It's going good. I got something to show you. So last week we featured a lovely Asana coffee flask kind of thing that they sent us. There's been a development today. A new package has arrived. Let me show you this. I never get anything. <laughs> okay. For those of you who uh, you know, you know, we, we would audio, make way more likes and views if you fell over when you showed your socks. I, I was close there. Mm-hmm. Trust me. For those of you listening on the audio version, I now have pink and white spotted Asana socks. So mm-hmm. there you go. Well, maybe they'll send me something one day, you know. I was on the interview too, I don't know. Asana, if you listen, I am uh, deeply disappointed. But I'd like to keep the link, so please, just, it's fine. <laughs> okay, well, let's jump into the podcast. I see that you're preparing a lot more for these uh, how's it going, Mark stuff. It's like, you know, a lot of people listen to a podcast for that bit and just stop the podcast at that point and come back next week. So it's pretty much the best part of the podcast. But please keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> All right, just, just take it over. Just take the first tactic and just go. All right, let's talk about some stuff. So I received very interesting outreach template, not outreach template, outreach message fairly recently. And I wanted to highlight this as a good example of what not to do. So they break almost every rule in the book when it comes to what to do in your outreach template. I'm going to read out to you quickly, and then I'm going to break it down and tell you what they did wrong, why they did wrong, so you can hopefully understand it and not make these same mistakes or improve your own templates. So the message goes like this. Hey, I noted you have a web page about outdoor LED display URL. And then they have the URL of our authority hacker, Amazon Associates Ultimate Guide. Nothing to do with LED display, but anyway, the message continues. And the link to this web, 
The Ultimate Guide to the Amazon Associates Program. Title, The Ultimate Guide to the Amazon Associates Program. I actually have an outdoor LED display post coming out recently that might make a nice addition to your list. URL, and then they have their URL. Either way, keep up the awesome work. Cheers, Lucy. So this, I mean, aside from the fact the English isn't great, let's just put that aside because, you know, I can I can forgive that. Compared to mine, like how would you grade it? Com- I, wor- I do work with Gail after all. <laughs> so there are several big, big problems here. The first is actually the sender of the email, Lucy, she's emailing us from a different domain that she's trying to get the link on. And it's not like a .co or anything like that. It's techler.com and she's trying to get a link on dreamwaytech.com. If I go to techler.com, it's a login for something. I don't know if that's like an email program or the hosting has been set up or whatever. Yeah, big red flag there. So let's go through the email step by step. First of all, she says, hey, not hey Mark or hey Gail or hey guys, just hey. She doesn't have the name. We did actually an experiment where we analyzed, I think we got like 600,000 outreach messages that we sent and analyzed how many of them got links based on a bunch of different factors. We found that if you include a name, first name, then you're going to increase the amount of links you get by 50%, which is pretty sizable. So always make the effort to do that. You can either pull out by Hunter or whatever, but a smarter way, actually, if you're emailing, for example, marketauthorityhacker.com, is you can, and I mentioned this in a, a podcast a few weeks ago, is you can actually uh, look up the mark bit of the email against a list of, of, of names from like the Census Bureau or whatever. And then if, if there's a match, you can replace it. So personalize your email. The next thing she says is, I noted you have a webpage about outdoor LED displays. So our website has nothing to do with LED displays whatsoever. So this is obviously some kind of like shotgun style template outreach. And I get it, you know, we've made these kinds of mistakes before in outreaching to sites which aren't kind of related or whatever. Can it's, I point it's out this possible. happened recently as well. Some HPro member posted on the group that we outreached to them, but it wasn't that related. So it's like, we do make that mistake too, actually. For sure. What I would say though, like regardless of that, is that no one really calls it a web page. So it's like, I noted you have a web page about this. You would say like, I noticed you have a post or an article or a, even a page maybe, but not a web page. It's kind of like, I don't know, that's what probably what my grandma would say. So our page isn't about that, but the mistake she made was assuming that it was. So a better way is to say, you know, I was reading your article about X and that way, regardless of what our site's about, it, she can never be wrong, right? Uh, So you have to kind of think about your template when you're crafting your email so that if you outreach to someone who's irrelevant, you can kind of, and they say, hey, our website has nothing to do with yours. What's it? mean. You can still kind of like recover that. And we have had examples in the past when we've been able to recover that by just by findings like cross-niching some kind of a cool example, like a weird guest post, which we could potentially do there. So try and not box yourself in with your template in case you make those kinds of mistakes. The next big mistake she makes, and I don't really get what's going on here, but she said, and the link to this web, and then she she's pulled our title tag or our article title, and I don't know if it's the H1 or whatever. It's a merge field, um, I can see. That's 
Yeah, I mean, obviously, but she's she's got the link to. I think she put the wrong merge field in the link because she's meant to say like, "Oh, we're linking out to someone else," but she's put the title tag in there. So either way, you have to be really, really careful when you're doing that. The less merge fields you put in with custom data like this, the better because there's more things which can go wrong, especially if you're talking about title tags because they're just often not anything to do with or not necessarily not not to do with but they have like extra words in them that aren't related to the the actual article title or whatever so just be very very careful if you're including the article article title in there i would say this is like very very bad personalization example here and just in general like she really doesn't show any interest in in what we're doing i wouldn't fix it line by line i think the whole angle is wrong i think the angle is like it's like you know it's like you can do shotgun and outreach but you can still write a template per post or per page. And it's like, for example, they're trying to sell LED displays. So that's like monitors for your, compu- for your computer, et cetera. That is sold from China, essentially. They're trying to like play the China angle here. And so you could still write a template that like is quite specific. So for example, like, uh, well, it's sure there's all these OLED displays and really expensive and fancy ones. But the truth is most people just buy basic LED displays. And when they buy basic LED displays, the most important thing for them is price. Most people just want to buy a basic 1080p uh, monitor or something like that. And the best place to get them is China because we just have much lower production costs. And so that be that make a lot of sense if you actually link it up to our roundup here or something like that, because actually we actually specialize in these products from China and the people who are value shoppers for this kind of product category, they would probably find something what that they want on the page, etc. Like you see how I could write this whole thing and I would just shotgun that to people and to promote that page. And when we pro- I promote another page, I would pick another angle. So I think the, pe- the thing that people don't get with shotgun is they don't understand that you can still essentially make it a PR campaign for each page and find a unique angle for each one that you will pitch to people that actually makes sense contextually to the content you have on your page and the angle that to which you're outreaching to people. And so that's how you do shotgun properly if you want to actually have success these days, given the amount of people who do shotgun, etc. You can craft something as if you were doing an email broadcast. Like when we email our, our email list, we emailed tens of thousands of people. Yet we're trying to write a relevant email that will most people will read and be like, oh, that's quite interesting and that's cool. Uh, Rather than just making this robotic template that just is like fill all, I'm doing this for every single one of my pages, et cetera. And so I think the biggest mistake for people here is you need to, don't try to fix this line by line, but rather try to write it like you do a broadcast email promoting your content and then email it to relevant people through outreach and find your unique selling points. In this case, people who buy LED displays, they're looking for cheap stuff because it's actually not the latest technology. There's micro LED, there's OLED, etc. These are the fancy premium stuff. People are looking for features or people are buying like ultra ultra wide stuff. Just to push back on that a sec though, like yeah. that's gonna be if she wrote half of what you said, that's gonna be a really, really long. It doesn't need to be really message. long. It just be like, hey, people who are buying in this product category, they're value shoppers. We actually focus on value with products from China because they're easy to import and they're cheaper. Consider adding these to the page. Like you can hit all these points in like a f- three sentences, you know, and it doesn't need to be very long. Okay. Just to go in a little bit further though, the the sender of this message didn't actually even ask for a link, which is a huge, huge problem yeah, like, as well. Yeah, what's the point? Yeah. She said, I actually have an outdoor LED display post coming out recently. Ignore the fact that it doesn't make sense. And that might make a nice addition to your yeah. post includes her link and then says either way keep up the awesome work. I see a lot of people 
doing this and like not being direct about, hey, I want a link from because you. Because that's what they Brian kind of beat teaches. around the bush and they're they're scared to go in and directly ask that in case the person says no or whatever. I, I don't know. That's because Brian Dean tells people to do that. That's why. Like on his blog, if you read his version of Skyscraper, he'll tell people to be more indirect usually. And then after they reply, pitch the link, which I would disagree with. But uh, that's, so many times, yeah. so many times when we've done that, taken that approach, like back in the day, People would be like, what do you want? I don't yeah. understand. It was like really confused about why we were getting in touch with them. And yeah, I find just asking for a link, you get more links. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So yeah, pretty big thing there. Just wanted to touch in on the, the follow-ups as well, if I can. So Lucy said, hey, Lucy here again, just wanted to make sure you got my previous email. No call to action in the follow-up email yeah, either. And this is this, the second follow-up probably has to be the worst one I've ever seen. So no hey or no hey Mark. Just says, looks like you're quite busy. I totally understand giving the current COVID-19 crisis crazy time. Anyway, I won't follow up on this anymore. Thank you for considering my small request and please be safe and healthy. So that's not even like a, I, I see what she's trying to do. Like she's probably thinking, oh, I need to like apply some pressure and say, oh, you know, if you're not interested, I won't follow up. If she up says anymore. I won't say anything, but it's like, she, it's she like just says, up, She just know? says, hey, I'm not, I've, I've given up now. Yeah, it's, it's like, a, then, there's okay, not fine. even a, a chance for us to come back and say, oh no, actually, yeah, we're, we're still looking at it. We're just a bit busy or whatever. So yeah, that's a lots of problems there. And look, I don't want to be hating on like outreach templates in, in general because like for sure we've sent some atrocious ones out to like completely the wrong people in the past. The main thing is that when you make these mistakes or when you see other people making mistakes, like try and break down what they're doing that's wrong and, and understand and understand that and learn from it and improve your own. So if you are a member of AH Pro or if you're considering joining it, we actually have three full link building blueprints in there. And we spend quite a lot of time on templates, but it's very easy for us just to give people copy paste templates because people think that's what they want. But actually what makes the difference between a good template and everyone else who's doing outreach, which is everyone these days, is like the nuance and the the fine distinctions you make in these these little things. So we try as much as possible throughout AHPRO to teach this nuance and to help you to create your own templates. It's like that old analogy, what is it? Like give a man a fish and he'll feed his family today, teach a man how to fish kind of thing. So it's that kind of approach. Yeah, it's like the thing is like templates, they're good to get started. Like if you've never done outreach, like you don't start from a blank page, etc. But like Yeah, you need a framework. But like if you're gonna scale these, if you're gonna do a lot of these, like I would recommend like you do what I mentioned, which is essentially write a template per page. It's not that crazy. You're um, we're talking like two hundred words emails or something. Like it's not very long, it's not a lot of work. If you spent all that time putting that content together put a custom email that actually hits the relevant USPs of your content to people, and I, I like it better. Uh, the templates do work, but yeah, if you're gonna do it at larger scale, I would recommend you, you know, you learn from starting with the templates and then eventually build that up because I believe that you're gonna get better results. And a lot of people who would say shotgun skyscraper doesn't work anymore, for example, they're the people that do exactly what we saw here. And well, yeah, we didn't link to this person. <laughs> so it's like, uh, no surprise here. And I think I think it can work, but you need to apply a bit of brain here. And as essentially the market gets more competitive and more people do these things, well, you need to try a little bit harder than most people if you want to get results. So nothing- But, that, but that's care. the thing as well. Most people aren't trying particularly yeah, hard. Exactly. So you just need to be a little bit better than everyone else. And like suddenly results come start pouring in. Yeah, I mean, that thing I mentioned wasn't that crazy. As I say, it's like two, three sentences that highlight the, the USP of like this specific product type, et cetera. And like, 
the angle we took to this and so on and so on. that's it. All right, anyway, let's jump on to the second point and we're gonna be talking about advertising and I took an example of a site called toybuzz.org, T-O-Y-B-U-Z-Z.org. So it's a site that sells uh, cauliflowers. No, I'm kidding, they're just selling toys, as you can tell. And <laughs> I don't know why I said cauliflowers. Just the Are they competing thing. with the lettuce uh, yeah. website? Yeah. The, the lettuce niche ago. is the best niche, by the way. If, you, if you're not in that niche, you're If you're in vegetables, niche. go for lettuce, yeah. yeah. But anyway, I like the site because actually, I mean, it's an okay site. So the stats are, they are a DR23 website. So it's pretty achievable for most people. They get 45.7 thousand search traffic according to Ahrefs, which they tend to underestimate. So I would say it's pretty good actually for DR23. 1,200 link euro domains mostly monetized through Amazon, right? So mostly they link to, you know, gift ideas for Amazon and they will rank for keywords, you know, like best gifts for 13 years old boy and best gifts for teens and best gifts for teen boys and best gifts for your grandma and stuff like that. And essentially they follow, not your grandma because it's a toy site. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Uh, you get the idea. <laughs> you get the idea. I got excited here. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, they're mostly monetized through Amazon and they're not running ads here. And I, like from all our experience and from the experience of many age for members, people we talk to, you know, veteran affair marketers, etc. Adding ads to your site, it's kind of counterintuitive, but actually does not reduce your affiliate revenue that much. When we did it, we pretty much saw nothing. We just added ads to our, one of our sites again, like literally last week. So let's see how it goes, but fingers crossed it's going to go well as well. And so especially for Amazon, if you're doing Amazon, like Amazon is, I would consider a low paying affiliate program at this point. And therefore, like, you can increase your revenue quite a bit with advertising. Like, I'm going to give you a fork. Obviously, don't quote me on that. These things vary a lot depending on the sites, how much you make with affiliate, etc. But you can often increase your revenue by 25 to 40% with ads. We even have some members who now make more with ads than they make with Amazon, for example, like with the slashing commissions, etc. So it's quite interesting. Now, ads, you know, don't go to AdSense and sign up and put AdSense ads on your site because... Uh, AdSense is kind of shitty and now there's essentially services that do everything for you, including signing up for many networks and optimizing it, doing A-B testing for the layouts, etc. So really, you shouldn't really worry and spend your time on trying to save the little bit of margin that they take for doing that service. You should rather focus on getting more traffic so that you can make more money. And so the services we recommend, my personal recommendations are Mediavine and AdThrive, but they do have a minimum traffic threshold. So Mediavine is 50,000 uh, visits per month. And AdStrive is 100,000 visits per month. You could use Ezoic as well. It's, uh, in my opinion, not as good, but they have pretty much no traffic requirements or 10K sometimes, etc. So it's much lower. But in my opinion, like it's like if you're a beginner, you never make money online. You need to see your first dollars online. Okay, sure, put at 10,000 visits per month on your site. For us, like I wouldn't go and put ads at 10,000 visits per month because let's say we make 12 to 15 bucks per thousand visitors. We have 10,000 visitors. I mean, okay, 150 bucks. Thank you very much. It's going to be uh, pay for like expenses for a weekend or something. But it's also when you have so few, if you only have 10,000 visitors, it can take a company like Zoic several months to, yeah, exactly. to test things enough to actually get it to that point as well. So, so if that money is important to you, if you've never made money online, etc., and like you know, making a hundred bucks a month is amazing to you, which was to us when we just got started. Sure. All the other the other case in which I would put Zoic is let's say I'm not really planning to work on that site anymore, but it still gets some traffic. I'll be just passively monetizing it, putting putting like a, a lower paying ad network on there and just not touch it basically. So, but otherwise, I prefer Media and AdStrive. The good thing as well is like, I don't think people know that, but AdStrive is, in my opinion, the best network in terms of revenue, etc. A lot of members even switched from one to the other and got best results with AdStrive. 
John Dixra, who we interviewed on this podcast, uses that Thrive as well. And the thing is, like, if your first site needs 100,000 visits, but your next sites need a lot less. Like the site I added to Ads Thrive last week only get around 50,000 per month. And actually, even at 20, 30,000, they apparently let people in provided you already have a site that has 100,000. So it's quite nice once you have that initial threshold because you can monetize your sites a lot earlier. And that site I added, I expect 600 to 900 extra dollars per month from ads, which is uh, quite nice. Now, the cost with ads, it, there's two things. There's one user experience, like ads can be a little bit intrusive. You can disable ads on certain pages, and we tend to do that when we do, let's say, outreach or like skyscraper outreach, etc., because we want to have the highest chance to get links. And so the nicer the page looks, the more likely people are to link to it. Like if there's like these services, they put like scrolling ads at the bottom, etc. It's not the nicest experience, even though it pays well. So there's that. And the, the other cost to ads is site speed. It does cost some site speed. Your site will slow down quite a bit. But these ad services, they tend to be quite smart. They've done a good job at like getting better at optimizing speed. So what they do is still cost site speed, but it costs site speed after the page has loaded, you know? So it's like you can still interact with the content and read, etc. So first of all, that's what Google cares about is when the content is interactive and you can start scrolling and clicking around, etc. So even if your page speed score is quite bad, what matters is like that kind of like time to first interaction. And these services tend to be a lot better than they used to be. So to, in my opinion, it's worth it. But I know there's going to be some like side speed uh, aficionados out there that just are like, ah, as I would never do that. It costs me like, you know, about half a second of page speed, etc. I don't know. I'll take the thousand bucks a month on that site. <laughs> I think that our previous mentality was this was, well, if we're trying to make affiliate commissions on these pages, why would we put ads? Because the people are going to click on these ads instead of the links. But it almost like doesn't affect it, like maybe a very, very small amount. So my theory on this is that people who are going to click on the affiliate links are going to click on it. And people who are going to click on the ads are, are going to click on the ads because usually they're being... You get paid per impression for us, even if people don't click, you know? The pay system is not even based on, based on click, it's just page load and like the ad reaches the viewport so like people can see it on the browser. But like, yeah, it's like people imagine it's going to cost you a lot in revenue. It doesn't. It never does, and you shouldn't worry so too much about if, it. So if if you haven't tried ads on your affiliate site, you should try them. Is basically what we're saying. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, all the big sites like Forbes and everything, etc. All the big sites they run ads, right? So I mean, people either have ad blocker and they just don't see your ads and they don't see Forbes, etc. In which way you make no money, but that that's the, the internet for you, or you. Oh, like, you know, they're used to seeing them on the biggest sites that they trust. Like, you go on the biggest news sites, etc. there's ads everywhere. And so, like, it's not like ads affect the trust of users that much because the most trusted sites have ads. And they run the same ads as you because it's a lot of retargeting and things like that. So they will literally see the same ads on Forbes and on your website. So it's not like it's going to cost you trust that much and therefore the conversion rate doesn't seem to be affected. So, yeah, it's kind of like this counterintuitive Thing that most people would say, oh, if people click on ads, they're not going to make money with affiliate. Not the case, you get paid per impression, and really it's just different audiences that either monetize with ads or monetize with affiliate. Do you want to take the next one? Yeah, so the next one is unlinked brand mentions. And this is something which we noticed on Authority Hacker after maybe like two to three years of the, the site being around. The first few years, it doesn't happen very much, but when you start having more of a presence online and you start maybe doing some kinds of link building or people start quoting your articles or referring back to things you've said, then this can be a really big link building opportunity. So essentially what it is, is finding places where people are talking about you and mentioning your brand, but not directly linking to you. 
and then we're going to outreach to them and, and ask them to link. So the way to do this, there's a few ways. Well, main way to do this is if you go on Ahrefs Content Explorer, and if you put minus site colon and then URL space and then in quotation marks, your brand name. You might have to play around with whether there's a space or no space in the brand name. If you do that, what that's going to do is it's going to look for, let's say we did it with Authority Hacker, it's going to look for any time Authority Hacker is mentioned, but not the Authority Hacker URL. Then you click one, check one page per domain so you don't have loads of the same domains. And then Ahrefs has this feature to highlight unlinked domains. And then you just put in the, again, your own domain. And what that's going to do is it's going to show anytime Ahrefs Content Explorer finds your like authority hacker mentioned, but the page isn't linking to authorityhacker.com. So we talked about, I think it was last week or the week, week before, talked about a website hostingfacts.com. So an affiliate site about web hosting. So I put hosting facts through this process and literally the first result that wasn't linked was a site called Collective Ray, which is about, is an article about WordPress sites being hacked, basically, a DR77 site. And they've used a quote from Hosting Facts, something about 90,000 websites being hacked a day, and it says Hosting Facts, but there's no link. So it would be super easy for them to go and outreach to Collective Ray and basically say, hey, thanks for using our, thanks for quoting us, really appreciate it, blah, blah, blah. Would you be able to link to us as well? It's a very simple ask, this one. You don't need to threaten them or you don't need to give them your life story. It's just, <laughs> just threatening them. Us. Is that how you get leads? Yeah, well, well <laughs> no, because there is a school, there's a school of thought, particularly with images, right? Oh, yeah. So because everyone's concerned about copyright and images and Getty images suing them and all that also stuff like that. So sometimes if you make a custom image or a graphic or whatever and someone else uses it and you're happy for them to use it, you just want a link from them. Some people what they do is saying, hey, you know, I see you've been using my link. You really shouldn't. It's my I see you've been using my image. You really shouldn't. It's mine. You know, it's those rights are reserved and you're not supposed to do that. But it's okay. I'll let you get away with it if you link back to me. Like I don't think that's a particularly effective yeah. tone to take. So I just want to highlight that that's not the tone to take with this kind of outreach. Keep it positive. Someone does um, that to us, I'll be like, sure, here's your link and a thousand Fiverr links with it. Take it. Okay, no, I will not do that. I promise. But yeah. So this is really simple, easy process you can run once. You also want to have a process which monitors for new brand mentions. And Ahrefs, again, has a, an alerts feature uh, where you can set up alerts for your brand name being mentioned. This doesn't highlight unlinked ones specifically, so you do need to check through it. But if you get this email coming every week, then um, it's just a really good thing to check once a week. Have, uh, have someone on your team run through it and check. And because you're catching them, as soon as the posts are, are made, most likely, uh, you have a much higher chance of actually getting the, the person to edit them and to include your link. Uh, just one quick tip, if you are doing that and you have uh, two words in your name, like authority hacker, you need to set up an alert for authority hacker with a space and authority hacker, all one word. In our case, we even need to do authority hackers with plural because some people dash well? call us that as well. No, no. Maybe we should, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, people call us Atari hackers all the time, please. Like, you know, it's like some guy just bought the domain at some point and we had to like litigate with him to get it back because he made a copy of our, our opt-in page oh, and he was yeah. collecting emails and stuff. It's like, yeah, like Atari hacker guys, not Atari hackers. That's a really interesting story. But, Maybe um, but we have we have authority hackers 
com now as well so it doesn't really matter what people call us yeah but just to finish off on this so that process is fairly straightforward it's literally one of the lessons in uh, authority hacker pro and one of the link building modules but what we did as well is we put sops for all those processes and one other one which we which i didn't mention here so just to highlight something cool in AH Pro is you get these like SOPs and you can literally just give these to your team and it has all the instructions for what they need to do, what they need to follow. And they can just, you just say, hey, go implement this and check it every week or whatever. So yeah. Okay. Let's jump onto the next tactic. And this one I'm going to be talking about topping up silos. So a lot of people understand what is siloing, site structure, et cetera. And like, you know, essentially building these sections of your site that talk about the same topic has all this internal linking. And we've found a lot of success with it in terms of ranking on Google. But there's kind of like two phases about silos, right? There's the phase where you build it and then it's like, it's sometimes it's kind of hard to like kind of essentially expand it. So I want to talk about the expansion of silos. You already have a silo, maybe you have a dozen pages on something and you want to expand it. So I'm going to take an example here as well. I found another affiliate site called bicycle-guider.com. Like even though they have a dash, they actually get almost 100,000 organic traffic according to Ahrefs. They are 49 sites and they get 762 euro domains in the bicycle niche. And the silo structure is really good on that site. If you go like, um, you essentially find like they have mountain bikes, they have hybrid bikes, they have road bikes, etc. And you go on these and then they essentially, it's the old school way of building a site with just a giant list of pages and like all the links, etc. But you can clearly see that structure that has been put together and I like it. It's a pretty okay, I think it's a pretty old site as well, so I think they've done a good job. And so what I've done is I've literally pretended this is my site. And I went on the Ahrefs and I was like, okay, let's go to Keyword. How do I top up the silos? So I took one, one of the silos, which is the mountain bike category. And what you do is you essentially, in that case, I took the mountain bike top silo page and I threw it in Ahrefs. And then if you go in the organic section, you get a list of 10 competitors. You can go in organic competitors as well and you get hundreds, but 10 is usually enough for me. But like... The thing that people don't realize, it's actually for the URL and not for the domain. So depending on the URL you put in there, you get different competitors. So it's like, you know, if I put like a page about affiliate programs on Atari Hacker, I'll get very different results than if I put a page on page builders, for example. So I'm, I'm using that for that specific page about that topic. And I essentially get these competitors. Then I go into the gap analysis tool and I essentially put these competitors against my domain. And what Ahrefs does is it finds all the keywords that these guys rank for in top 10 if you tick the option, and I don't. And essentially, that's how I top up my silos. I find people who have the same silos on their sites, and eventually I'm just finding all the other topics that they I didn't cover, but they covered, and they rank top 10 for, and then I can check the traffic for the page, the number of links, etc., etc. So for example, for the mountain bike category, by doing this, I found best folding mountain bikes. They don't have that. And so like the top pages that do reviews, they get around four, 500 search traffic from Ahrefs, which, you know, in reality is probably three, four, 5,000 because Ahrefs traffic is vastly underestimated. I had question posts as well, how to change a mountain bike tire and what is the mountain bike weight limit. And I found also a lot of single reviews with a lot of traffic. So there was this gravity mountain bike review and Kent mountain bike review. So Basically, that's the process that we use to top up our silos. We find people who essentially talk about the same topic. Sometimes it's entire sites. Like sometimes an entire site is just like one of our categories. And sometimes it's just a subcategory of a site. And then you can, if they have like long URLs, so if they have like, you know, hard silos, basically, where they have the category in the URL for the post, etc., you can actually do that gap analysis against that site section only and not the whole website and get better results. So let's say, let's say I do gap analysis against Ahrefs 
And let's imagine they have hard silos. They don't, but I'm going to imagine that. It's like hrefs.com slash SEO slash, you know, link building, something like this. I put hrefs.com slash SEO and I'll gap analysis against us. And then I'll see all the SEO keywords that they rank for. And we haven't written about and we're not showing up in the top 100. So that's basically how you top up silos. It's a pretty easy way to grow your sites. Do that with a massive list of competitors and you'll find a ton of ideas. And what I really like is like a lot of people just tend to like write randomly about low competition keywords. For us, writing about writing more about the stuff that's been working, even if the keywords are a little bit more difficult, even if the metrics don't look as good, etc., has done better. We tend to rank better for stuff that is related to stuff we already rank well for. And so that method has been quite good to top up the silos. We have a full lesson and case study on me doing this for many keywords on one of our sites, actually on Atari Hacker Pro, I made a whole lesson on this. So you see me just picking up our site and essentially doing the whole process and then getting to the end of like, okay, let me order all these keywords and just I ordered the content basically. So that's the tactic. Yeah, just to add to the shameless promo, I want to say that all of our videos are actually uh, like over the shoulder, like us actually doing this stuff. We used to do some PowerPoint to like teach the theory back in the day, but in the last year and a half, we've we haven't done any PowerPoint. We've, we're starting to do green screen videos now. Like uh, there hasn't been a lot, but it's like now instead of doing PowerPoints, we tend to do green screen, etc. It's, it's a bit nicer actually. Okay, go ahead. Cool. So the next one is on link building negotiation, which I would say negotiation is where link building is won. And I saw a really good quote today from BB, one of our good friends on the proper P PBN Facebook group. And she was responding to someone who is... What? You're on the PBN Facebook group? What? You're a traitor. Yeah, I think it's called the proper <laughs> SEO proper group SEO now. now. <laughs> they, they got rid of their PBN thing. That's what the URL was anyway. So someone was posting about uh, link building not working and that. And she said that there are many moving parts in link building. And just like an engine, if one part isn't functioning, the whole thing goes to shit. I was like, that's actually pretty kind that's of pretty profound, that's a really yeah. good, really good analogy actually for it. So I've stolen that. We'll credit you, BB. Thanks for that. But basically, a lot of people fuck up when it comes to link building negotiation and fuck up badly. And even like really, really good people do this. So we got outreached by Mailshake, who are a tool which we use a lot. And, you know, we, we, we know these guys pretty well, uh, but they outreached to us. The outreach department got in touch and they were discussing kind of adding this new section to one of our articles and like helping us create it. And it was good. Like they had a really good point and it would have added actually a ton of value to that piece of content, which we had an authority hacker. So we were kind of like, yeah, let's do it. And then they didn't respond. So we followed up and then they didn't respond. So that's it. There's a complete lost, wasted opportunity for them to get Sorry, some extra email, links yeah. pointing towards the towards where they, they want. But it wasn't that they sent an email to Gail, it was they sent it to me and I actually do respond that's, to people. That's so that's actually why it's surprising. But there's a couple of takeaways here on, on link building negotiations. So first, you got to stay organized with it and you got to actually like follow up with people. There's a really good free tool. It's called followupthen.com. It does the same thing as followupcc, but I think you can do it uh, for, you can use it 50 times a month for free. And you basically BCC in this email address and it, you can say like five days at or cc five days at followupthen.com and it will automatically remind you in five days or however long you set that you need to to reply to this person so it's just a little trick for managing your your inbox there but when you're in these advanced stages of negotiation when people are already leaning towards saying yes 
Like they need to be the first people you're replying to, you know, before your own mother kind of thing, because that's, it's such a hot lead and it's so easy to let it go cold if you, if you mess up. So very, very important to, to stay on top of things. Just to give us a bit more insight into how we actually structure our negotiation. So I'd say about 70 to 80% of the responses you get will be one of someone asking for money, a link exchange in return for linking to you, a hard no or a soft no. They'll say, oh, I'll do it later. Or they'll do it, but they'll forget to add the link. Um, or there'll be some kind of like, oh my God, how dare you contact me? And there'll be some drama. Or like the link you'll be suggesting is not relevant, like the first example today. Or often they'll misunderstand what you're actually asking for if you're not clear, especially if you're not clear in your iReach message. Or even if you are, sometimes they won't really know what to do or what you're asking for. For all those situations, it's possible for each site to create a sort of outline template that you, you can use. And Google... Uh, Gmail canned response is really, really good for this. You create this template and you load that up, but it's not like you just send that blanket template out every time someone asks for money or you know says your, your site's not relevant. Though you need to customize it a little bit, but just having that outline of a template in place will, will help you save, save a lot of time. Because you've saved a lot of time there, you can spend that time on those other sort of 20, 30% of responses which don't fit into any of these boxes exactly and need just highly customized responses that you can you can actually invest your time on so yeah link building negotiation all about time management and prioritization i would say anything to add to that gil not really this is uh, very concise and uh, impressive that's all i want to say <laughs> why thank you and if anyone i can see like your surprise i didn't i didn't have anything really to say you're like what's going well, you, on you always you always ask me what i think so i thought i'd do the same for you yeah Exactly. But like, just agree. Like, you know, it's like, uh, I've been in a relationship for a long time now. I know, I know how to escape these situations, you know? <laughs> All right. So I just want to add to this. So we have, as I said, several blueprints in Authority Hacker Pro about link building. We have Shotgun Skyscraper, guest yeah. posting. We have Harrow as well. It's not so much outreach based. But in the Authority Site System, our beginners course, we also talk about link building negotiation. And we emphasize negotiation so much because it really just is so crucial to say the right thing and to to win those links. I, I get a lot of people saying, like, oh, I, I copy pasted your template and I've sent some emails, but no one's That's the um, problem. kind of getting me links. But it's that like extra 20% effort you put in at the end of your chain of emails back and forth to someone. Those are the where you get the really, really good links. Yeah, I think it's a mentality people need to pick up. It's kind of like, well, yeah. you need to be slightly above, like you don't need to be amazing, you just need to be above average. To do well, and honestly, there's a lot of room for improvement in the industry. So it's not hard to be above average, guys. It's like if you really want this, then it's really not hard to be above average. And it's kind of like pick up that mentality. Don't be that just follower. Like you can take the stuff we talk about, but you need to you need to put your heart in it, and you need to like you know how do I do this the best I can? If you're just like half-assing it and just like doing the bare minimum. Well, you're going to get the minimum results as well, and you shouldn't expect more than that. So it's like, yeah, all this stuff we say is great and tactics, etc. it's all great. But there's this level of attitude that we just can't give you. You're going to have to pick up yourself and you're going to have to just want to do something actually good and do it properly. And I think a lot of people fail because they, they miss this attitude and that 
it's almost like I hate self-help, but it's almost self-help. Like, you know, it's like it, you need you need that. Like, I want to do things right attitude. And if you do, it's going to make a lot of tiny changes in the way you do things. Be like, oh, well, how would I react if I received that email? Isn't it like a bit shit, etc. The same way that like I give shit to Mark all the time and he will give it back to me. Even on the podcast, we can't stop each other. And it's like, and you need that attitude basically. And that's, that's what will make you have an edge in link building and pretty much all of online marketing. And now we're going to talk about a topic that people are going to just be standing up and shouting at their screen because we're going to be talking about site speed and people love site speed. And, uh, <laughs> and that's it. So like be excited. As much as we tell people that site speed is not everything, it's still somewhat important when you site loads in more than 10 seconds. And that's what's happening on acousticbridge.com, which is a DR21 site, which despite its low DR, gets 95,000 organic traffic, really good site. 360 linky root domains, and they are about guitars and ukuleles and basically all the family of guitars, etc. And so the metrics are not as bad as it sounds, if I say 10 seconds of loading time is a bit scary, but they do use that drive actually. And because of that, you know, as I explained, you know, time to interaction is still okay-ish, but because the ads essentially load what we call asynchronously, which is after the main page has loaded, after the content is in, can be interacted with and people can scroll and read, etc., it's not so bad. But still, it's not very well built, basically. So it's like site speed. The, nowadays, there's a lot of service. It's kind of like ads. There's a lot of like done for you stuff that kind of like in one package does pretty much everything. The one that's been really popular is WP Rocket and it's pretty good, but these guys use it and they still get not so great page speed. And that's because WP Rocket is just a plugin, right? It's like, if you have bad hosting, if you don't have a good CDN, if your files are hosted like on the other side of the world and I'm loading the site from Asia, etc., it's not gonna work very well. So I'm going to be talking about essentially all this, the site speed tech that I recommend. Actually, there's a bunch of new stuff actually. Because I've been setting up a bunch of new sites recently, so I got to play with all that stuff and actually just figure out like the best setup that I like for this. And so I want to start with hosting because it's kind of the basic one. And I have been very, very impressed with Vulture High Frequency on Cloudways. It costs $13 per month, which you might think it's a lot, but like you get a server and you can put multiple sites on it. Like I have one of these $13 servers and I have three sites on it right now. They're low traffic sites, right? It's like, don't put like massive traffic sites on $13 servers. It's not going to work. But if you're like on SiteGround, for example, from year two, you pay almost that price. Actually, it's around 10 bucks per month from year. The first year is cheaper then the second year. It gets more expensive and that's how they get you. But like the reason I recommend SiteGround because I hope people make some money after year one. But this has been really good. And it's like, this is the fastest WordPress interface I've ever seen load anywhere without caching, without anything. So very, very impressed with that. Another thing that has impressed me that has been quite good as well is Cloudflare. They released a new service literally two weeks ago, not even, even one week ago. And it's an automatic platform optimization for WordPress. It costs $5 per month. And what they do is they move a lot of your files not just images, et cetera, but like JavaScript, et cetera, like big chunks of your site off your server to their CDN servers across the world. So essentially there's a copy of your JavaScript in like hundreds of servers across the world. And if someone's loading the website, it's loading from a server that's nearby, not from the US when they are like in Europe or something like this. And that will increase the speed of your website. It costs $5 per month and you just need to install their plugin, press a button and do nothing else. There's another option with Cloudflare. You can go at $25 per month. That gives you more options like image optimization, etc. Like there's a lot of like HTTPS optimization, lots of stuff basically. You can get a bunch of optimization. 
I would say I would prefer buying the $5 per month and then buying a service like ShopPixel that will optimize your images and then pay for the one where they have, it's called ShopPixel Adaptive Images. And what they do is quite interesting. Not only do they compress your images when you upload them to WordPress, that's pretty classic and there's free services that do that, but they also resize it based on the size and the resolution of the screen on which the page is loaded. So let's say my grandma has a MacBook Air that is not even full HD, it's like 720p, it's terrible, like an old one. She doesn't need to load a very high resolution image because her screen is low resolution. And so to speed things up, ShopPixel is gonna recognize that and be like, oh, let's make a, a smaller version of the image just the size that she needs for her really low resolution laptop. And then they will load that image that's maybe two or three times smaller for that, and they will cache it as well. So if someone comes back with a MacBook Air, you will not pay for another credit for optimization. They will have that cache of that size of the image. And so I like combining these together with the $5 Cloudflare, I think it's pretty good. And then the full service, the one that we use, for example, on a toy hacker is called Nitro Pack. Essentially, it's like an all-in-one. It costs more money. Like they have a $19 per month, but it's a bit of a trap because they only optimize like a thousand, a thousand image files or something. It's really for most sites, not enough. So you're kind of like forced to jump on the $39 per month. So it's a bit more money, but they have been, it's like basically they do all these stuff. They do the short pixel stuff. They do the Cloudflare stuff. They do all of that. So it replaces everything, replaces your cache including, et cetera. And it's kind of as if it's a done for you service, basically software as a service. And you don't have to think about it. And I quite like it, even though if it's, it's not the most economical, we know we get good page speed without having to worry about it. And they re-optimize in real time, et cetera. So, that's basically site speed. And when you are at 10 second page load time, it's not so great. If you have two, three seconds, don't sweat it too much. Like, you know, even with all these optimizations, you know, when we have Facebook pixel, Google pixel, advertising, etc. like even with all of that, it happens that our sites take like three, four seconds to load as well. But I think it's not too bad. Usually like um, I want to be four seconds or below. Most people are aiming two seconds. I think one second and below, a lot of people say one second. I mean, first of all, you don't have a very complicated site. There's no complicated site that loads in less than one second. But yeah, I think basically two, three seconds. Google is not going to make you rank higher for having a very fast page speed, but they will make you rank lower if you're too slow, especially for mobile devices. So that is our page speed stuff. I have a full blueprint on that as well, where I talk about all of this. And what I did is quite cool in this blueprint because I took that a site of ours and it had no optimization at all. And I install, like, I'm like, okay, here, let's try a free setup. And I use stuff like auto-optimize, et cetera. And I'm like, okay, here's the page speed. And now let's try WP Rocket, like the first cheaper version. And I show the page speed for that. And I increase all the way to like that super high and nitro packing. And you guys can see basically the speed gains between each service. And then you get an idea of like maybe where you want to be and what is worth your money and what is not worth your money. So that's been a cool, I enjoy that, but I kind of enjoy like, figuring it out once a year and then not think about PageSpeed for the rest of the year. And I think that's kind of the approach you should take for PageSpeed. Yeah, I think PageSpeed can be a bit of a trap because yeah. it's something which is easy to work on, easy to spend a lot of hours working on and also to measure results quite quickly. But in terms of how much it actually impacts your rankings and traffic after a certain point is debatable. I'd also say as well that a lot of the guides out there are written more for technical people. It's like, yeah. oh, log in and do all this kind of coding stuff. You don't in want to do it. Pro, ours is more like, okay, so here's how to install these services that do the 80-20 for you. And, you know. And we have a free setup as well, actually, in that blueprint. So there's, like, if you want to spend no money, we, like, we also talk about that because obviously, like, some people would rather put resources somewhere else and that's fine for a new site or something yeah yeah yeah. it's like and for us like we don't run the best setup on every site it's kind of like as they make more money i just upgrade these i'm like okay well this year this site is doing well 
Like, for example, that site I mentioned we moved to AdStrive, well, I kind of like upgraded it a bit, so I paid the $5 Cloudflare for it, for example. Like, I did that last week, and I was like, well, yeah, it's worth it doing it at this point. For the money it makes, I'm happy to do that. And on new sites, now I just put them on this Vulture thing, and I put a free caching plugin, and I basically start with that. And then just use free Cloudflare on it, and then I just upgrade as we go. And I feel like we don't overspend on SpageSpeed. And also, you know, new sites, they're much simpler. There's a lot less pages, there's a lot less images, there's a lot less plugins. So they can run quite fast without going overboard on site speed. It's more like, as I said, when you start getting pixels, you start getting ads, you start getting all of that, then your page speed will start suffering. So that's basically page speed for you guys in a nutshell. But if you want to see the case study, yeah, it's in HBO. All right. So the next thing we're going to talk about is writer job ads. So I was browsing Upwork today and I found literally the first one I looked at because almost every job ad you read on, on Upwork and in most places actually is, is pretty terrible. So I found a, a job ad from an Irish furniture website. It's called Home Street Home. And if you're watching on YouTube, I'll put the job ad up on the uh, on the screen now. But basically they fall into the trap that most people fall into with hiring uh, writers. And that's first of all, using Upwork. We have hired some good writers in Upwork in the past, but their system is not built for hiring writers. So for example, with Upwork, it forces you to, to specify either a fixed price contract and like a budget for that contract or an hourly rate. And anyone who's worked with writers knows that paying them an hourly rate is just a really bad idea, it encourages them to spend loads of hours doing not very much. You wanna pay writers per word of content that they, they produced and, and that's approved. Uh, so that's the first mistake. I would suggest that rather than Upwork, they use the ProBlogger jobs board on problogger.com forward slash jobs. And if you pay for a featured listing there, you really get a lot of applicants. I mean, we've had 600 applicants in, in one for one job ad before on a health website. That's actually kind of not so good because then you have to go and filter them all and check them all out. So to actually bypass that, what we've been doing more recently is we've been actually specifying the rate that we're going to pay. So that way we don't get really underqualified or really overqualified writers applying for the position and it just doesn't waste anyone's time. You get about, I don't know, five to 10 times less applicants, maybe five times less applicants, but the applicants you do get are much better and, and more suited. So that's the first thing. Second, on this job ad, they've specified that, or they start it with, we need a content writer with a good understanding of blah, 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 blah. They don't introduce themselves. They don't share anything about their vision. They don't get anyone excited about this, this job. It's very, very bland. There's a few nuances in, in how I do this. I normally start off a job ad with, hi, I'm Mark from Authority Hacker or whatever. And the reason I do that is twofold. First, because I like to introduce myself and be personal, but also because when people are applying, if they say, hi, Mark, in their application, I know that they've read things properly. If they say, dear sir, or whatever, or just hi, then that's probably not such a good sign. Not the be all and end all, but it's an interesting early indicator that someone has good attention to detail, which you, you obviously always want in a in a writer. So yeah, really important, share your vision and all that. So their article then says, to start with, we need a 1000 word pillar article on dining tables and three 600 word articles on this, this, and this. Now it doesn't say whether is that what you need as like the first thing to do, or is that the test, or is that part of the application or, or what? It's just really unclear um, how that fits in. I'd also say that, you know, like calling it a pillar article, you know, I'm not sure how many writers are going to understand that in like an SEO context or, or whatever, just a little bit off. 
Usually we do paid tests for writers. And what we do is we get everyone who, we have a few stages in our application process before they get there. So there's, there'll be an application form where we'll ask some basic questions. Sometimes there'll be a second round of questions. Most of the time we run a, a short 15 minute screening call where we actually do a video call with them, talk to them, get to know them a bit better. And only after that do we actually pay them for a, to do a, a test article. So having those stages beforehand means um, having so many unqualified or people you're never going to hire run through it saves you money on the the test and also just speaking to people speaking to your writers very very good because you'd be surprised how few websites have ever spoken to any of the people writing content for them they're just someone on the other end of an email in order to get the best work out of people to give them good feedback and to have them really invested in in continuing to work for you because remember the good writers are going to get offers to loads of people loads more clients are going to come in so you want to make sure that they're invested in working with you uh, which also goes back to what i was saying earlier about the sort of vision for what you're trying to do with the website so yeah all in all this job ad's pretty poorly thought out they've have on their Upwork job description, it says, if successful, we would then map out a content plan for the next six months. But then Upwork forces you to specify a range, like how long is this job? And they've put less than a month, hours to be determined. So just these things, these contradictory things are really, really confusing and it's just not very good overall. I'd also say they've put three questions to be, in Upwork, you're allowed to put questions that basically people have to answer those when they apply for your, your job. So they've said, what part of this project most appeals to you? What challenging part of this job are you most experienced in? And what questions do you have about this, this project? I think those are really bad things to ask. I mean, they're not terrible, especially the bit about what appeals to you, but you want to ask what experience they have. So share a link or share three links to relevant articles you have written in this niche. If someone can't do that, then, uh, you know, maybe they're not such a good writer for your project. That's another reason I don't like Upwork because you can't really do such complex application forms like you can on ProBlogger. You just link them to a Gravity form or a Google form even. Yeah, just keep it simple. And that way, when all the applications come in, you don't have you know, a bunch of emails to go through or, or whatever. It's just a Google sheet and you can run through and say, okay, you know, let's check out everyone's portfolio or let's check out everyone's motivational question, whatever. So I would go with that approach as well. Asking for relevant samples also weeds out any kind of SEO writers, generalist writers who, you know, claim to know how to write for SEO, but just will write kind of pretty average content by doing the minimal Isn't that SEO Google content? research. <laughs> not not in the SEO niche. I mean, like oh, yeah. people who position themselves as SEO writers for SEO agencies oh, just to want, who no. expect to be given a keyword and they'll just give back the content and no one ever checks it. And it's just like, yeah, whatever, you know. Yeah. Agencies do this a lot. I just want to go back on this, like involving writers, etc. I think it's like, especially in this like crazy thing where everyone's working from home, etc. Like giving meaning to people for their work is very important. We do this in very different ways, you and I, like completely the opposite. You have your like GSNR meetings and very formal meetings with people where you like, you will set times where you catch up with people. I almost never do that, but I have a ton of informal chats with people. And I just like essentially build a, a relationship with a lot of the right of people like talking about really random stuff. I mean, you can ask Naya who writes for Tori Hacker, like we're talking about like the news and the world and everything. And just like, and it's like, it feels like the coffee machine chat, you know, but like, it's also very important. It also means that we have a, a relationship where I can be really honest on the feedback I give him as well. Like when I'm not happy, et cetera, I'm like, 
sorry man, can't use this, this is not good enough, etc. And like and he won't get mad or anything the same way he might feel if I wasn't communicating with him, etc. So yeah, I think like I mean it's obviously you don't want to like build, have to build a relationship with absolutely everyone, but like it's kind of like a function of time. The longer people are with you, the more you want to kind of like invest in them and kind of like want to uh, you also build this loyalty because if they've been here for a long time, you're obviously appreciating their work. So you want more of it. And freelancers will, if they have no relationship, just jump onto the next thing and not really care about you at all. And it's it's fair. It's like, and the same way you can dumb them and you don't care that much. And so like... I think you kind of counterbalance that though with promising them or actually giving them long-term consistent work because when, when a freelance writer's looking for work, they're obviously not making money and often they're doing unpaid test articles and, and all. It's, it's difficult working with a new client initially to, to kind of get up to speed in that. So if you're able to offer like consistent, stable, regular work, you know, you have a good relationship, you've built lots of feedback, you've given them lots of feedback over time so that they, most of the time, they're really getting it first time or close to first time, exactly what you want. You're paying them on time, you're involving them in decisions, you're, you know, chatting about news and politics or whatever else. It's just a really good situation. Like treat them as if they're part of your team, not as if they're just a uh, a machine that outputs 500 word articles or whatever. Showing the results of their work as well. Like I tend to show like, oh, look, this article is ranking for this keyword. It's kind of cool and it's progressing. Da, da, da. Like, I, it's like, it's nice because they see like what it does at the integrant. And I'm like, okay, so we're going to convert people that way. And like, we're going to do this, etc. And it's like, and the more they understand it, the better job they do at the content as well. Once they understand conversion mechanics, etc., they might do a better job at actually pushing people that way. So um, for me, it's like, yeah, it's kind of like a function of time. The more people stay with us, the more I invest in a relationship. So I tend to be quite cold at the beginning when we have new employees. And then over time, I, change, I kind of like happily just have like these casual chats, builds up, et cetera, and eventually just invest in people. Anything to finish on the right? Just one, one final tip. I think it's really important to have someone who is a, a strong, strong topical expert. And in an application form, uh, it's very difficult to give someone a question that they can answer that they can't just go away and Google and pretend like they know what they're talking about. So if you ask them for their opinion on something topical related to the industry. So if we're doing for it for Authority Hacker, might ask a question like, what's your opinion on the 2018 Google Medic update? Something which is very ambiguous and there's lots of different position opinions. Some of them arguably very, very not true, but you know, that's a matter for debate. So someone who's able to understand that the different layers of conversation going on, on around that topic is probably going to be a, a better writer than someone who's just like, oh, do eat. Fair enough. I mean, let's not get into EAT. Like we're, we're in one hour podcast right now. Like it's like, I don't need this. So let's jump on to the next point, which is going to be. Actually, I just want to, I just want to finish that quickly. Sorry, because uh, I want to link this back to Authority Hacker Pro and the blueprint. Because we actually, I actually made a full blueprint with like, I think 12, 13 videos where I break down our exact step-by-step -step writer hiring process. Also have templates that you can use for your job descriptions, tell you how to get loads of applicants, how to filter out all the bad ones, how to onboard them and manage them. All this stuff is covered in there. So if you're interested, check that out as well. Cool. This is all cool, but like this complicated hiring writers, managing them, etc. People just want traffic, man. And so that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to talk about just a quick tip to get traffic because that's what people love. And actually, we're going to take another case study here. It's going to be ratedgamegear.com slash bestgamingmice. This article is quite confusing to me because the title tag and the H1 essentially says 
best gaming mice for 2019, which, well, we're getting to the end of 2020 now. But if you read inside the content, I don't know if you read it, but it's like, it says, in 2018, PC gamers, da-da-da, cream of the top, etc. But the paragraph after that, it says, PC computers have moved forward more in 2016 than they have in any previous year. So you can see the years are all over the place. And it's kind of like a flow of like, I'm going to talk about an automated way to essentially get some 2020 traffic or current year traffic. But... If you do this too much, this is what's going to happen to you. Like if you don't actually update your content and look at it, etc., then you could be finding some issues. So let me talk about the tactic. And the tactic is essentially in your title tag. I can't give you H1 tag because the H1 tag is actually, there's a custom function you need to put in your function.php on WordPress. I give that one on uh, Toy Hacker Pro, but like I can't give it here. So people who are in H Pro, you have that. But I'll talk about the title tag because your SEO plugin does it. Whether you use Rank Mass, I think Yoast, Yoast just depreciated this, so Yoast doesn't do that. But if you use RankMass or SEO Press or something like this, don't use Yoast. How can we make our <laughs> plugin worse? What features can we take away? Yeah, that's Yoast for you for the past five years. But anyway, basically, there's a tag that you can put on RankMass. is going to be percentage, current year, percentage in your title tag box. And it's going to be automatically pulling the current year. So if you, you know, if it's 2020, it's going to say 2020. And on the 1st of January 2021, at midnight 01 is going to change it to 2021, provided you clear your cache. Because if it's cached, then maybe it's going to be stay 2020 until your cache is refreshed. And so it's kind of nice because adding the year to your title tag is usually a way to get more traffic. There's always year traffic for pretty much any query. Like even queries that don't make sense for it. Like, you know, like how much milk can you drink per day 2020? Like probably the same answer as 2019, but I'm sure there is some search volume behind that. And so adding the year in your title tag, if you check Atari Hacker, you'll see pretty much every title tag has the year in there because we get some long tail traffic for it. So yeah, basically do it. And then if you use SEO Press or any of the other ones, you need to put double percentage signs. So percentage, percentage, current year, percentage, percentage. So maybe you write maybe the best gaming mice in percentage, percentage, current year, percentage, percentage, and automatically it's going to pull that. And it should be fine for, what you need to be careful though, is you need to be careful for when you share it on social, these pages. Because if you don't set up social tags, OG tags for Facebook, Twitter, etc., essentially they will pull your title tag, except they don't interpret that current year, essentially shortcode, the way your WordPress site does, because that's the function on your WordPress site that does it. And therefore, it's going to show current year on there. So the way to combat that is actually to go in the social settings of your post and then just write the title tag there. Or you can, some plugins, I think you can actually put a dynamic tag there, but it's going to translate it for social as well. So you need to be careful of that because otherwise when you share your page on socials, it's going to be a bit scary. But otherwise, an easy way to get more traffic. You can also do it with H1s, but this one needs a custom function on WordPress, as I said. Yeah, we give that in H Pro. Can't really give it here. So it's going to be for H Pro members only this one. And that's basically a quick lesson that we have in H Pro as well. So you guys can check this out. Easy way to get more traffic to pretty much any piece of content. So anything else you want to add to this whole podcast or anything like that? No, I mean, this is just a, a reflection of some of the things we cover in the course. There's, gosh, how many videos, lessons do we have now? Like 300 <laughs> it's like the game to three, 400, yeah. Like it's yeah, like, it's, it's getting a lot. bit silly now. But yeah, we were just saying actually before this this episode that you were like going through those things. I'm like rediscovering stuff, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. And it's like, yeah, sometimes <laughs> I forget. Like, you know, it's like there's these things that we work on at certain points and we don't really do anymore. Like it's like, 
you know, we can't run all the tactics that we talk about at all times. It's unrealistic. Some stuff we used to run on all, so all the sites we don't work on anymore. Some stuff just like uh, not relevant to projects we're working on and uh, at this point, etc. And so like, yeah, sometimes I go through it and I'm actually just discovering stuff. And it's kind of fun, actually. Uh, it shows how bad we were at video at the time at the beginning as well, but we yeah. got a lot better. But I think, yeah, I think building H Pro, it's like people don't realize when they just watch the podcast or something, they don't realize how much work has been put in there. But like across the years, yeah, like the library is like it's getting to 400 videos now. And the thing is, there is maybe like 150 videos that were never released because we were like not happy with them. But if you go on our Vimeo account where like all the videos are hosted, there is more than 700 videos on that account at this point because we've also removed the outdated ones, you know, and there's like three, 400 live, but like there's actually, there's actually way more that we shot because we removed the really outdated stuff, we update it, et cetera. Some stuff we have like three versions because the software changed interface, et cetera. So actually in the past, how old is it for like almost four years old now? No, it's more than five years old now. Yeah. Well, we've recorded like more than 700 videos and uploaded them on the Vimeo account actually. Plus everything that's on YouTube, plus like tasks, etc. So it's like, yeah, it's like we are actually quite efficient at video production more than you'd think when you just look at our YouTube channel, for example. And uh, just to put like another shameless pitch in here, like if you buy Authority Hacker Pro, as we said, it's only open twice a year and it's open this week. If you buy it, you get lifetime access to all future updates. And unlike most other course providers, as we've just mentioned, we actually do update it like a lot. Uh, and, and it's gotten bigger and better over the years as well, I'd say. It's one of these things, right? It's like I was looking at the at the stock market of like uh, like distributing versus reinvesting funds, you know, basically the ones that distribute dividends and the ones that essentially reinvest dividends. And I was like, oh, we want, I want to build H4, like this kind of like accumulating one that just like you buy it early and then you just see it grow in value and you're like, oh shit, that was great value. And actually some people buy it for like much cheaper than it is today. And I, I guess some people this time would buy it for cheaper than it will be in the future. But like, like a lot of people are really happy about that. And they like, because when it started, it was a lot smaller. If you remember, there was like three, four blueprints. Yeah. Now there's like, yeah, dozens and a bunch of, uh, of updates, etc. So yeah, More basically it's well. something we put a lot of effort in and as long as we sell it, we'll keep adding stuff. We have cool plans for next year as well of like new content. There will be some announcements for new content pretty much tomorrow at the time at which this podcast is coming out. So watch out for the announcements, but there's a lot of new content coming up as well. So check it out. It's going to be on toyhacker.com slash pro. And well, we're still on the podcast here, so we need to remind people to click on the like button, to subscribe, to click on the bell, and to subscribe on the audio podcast if you prefer the audio form of the podcast. Completely fine with us. Uh, we're happy that you stayed with us and you essentially went through a little bit of a review of some random tactics that we picked up in, in HPro. There's a lot more in there. There's a cool community as well. We'd love to see you in there on autoyhacker.com slash pro. And we hope you have a good week as well. So see you later.